He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere. A radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome in on this Wednesday, the first Wednesday of 2024. Came across this really interesting little article about uh, life back in the day, and where a lot of sayings that we use all the time, or uh, they kind of some of them kind of going away. But if you're my age, you remember all of them. Uh, and, and this is uh, just the way people used to live. Uh, people used to use urine to tan animal skin. So families used all the pee in the house and they put it in a pot once a day that it was taken and sold to the local tannery. And if you had to do this to survive, you were called piss poor, but worse than that were the really poor people who couldn't even afford a pot to pee in. And that's where that came from. And the next time you're washing your hands and complain because the water temperature isn't just how you like it, think about how things used to be. Here's some facts from the 1500s. Most people got married in June because they took their yearly bath, <laughs> yearly bath in May, and they still smell pretty good by June. However, since they were starting to smell, the brides carried a bouquet of flowers to hide the body odor, hence the custom today of carrying a bouquet when getting married. Baths consisted of a big tub filled with hot water. The man of the house had the privilege of the nice, clean, fresh water. Then all the other sons and men got to take a bath. Then the women, and finally the children. And last of all, the babies. By then, the water was so dirty, you couldn't actually, you could actually lose somebody in it. Hence the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I mean, I grew up hearing that all the time. I didn't know what it meant. Houses had thatched roofs, a thick straw piled high with no wood underneath. It was the only place that the animals could get warm, so they all, the cats and the dogs and other small animals, kind of burrowed their way into the roof. Uh, when it rained, it became slippery and loose, and sometimes the animals start to slip through the roof into the house, hence the saying, it's raining cats and dogs. There was nothing to stop things from falling through the house. This posed a real problem in the bedroom where bugs and other droppings could mess up your nice clean bed hence a bed with a big post and a sheet hung over the top afforded some protection that's how canopy beds came into existence the floor was dirt only the wealthy had something other than dirt hence the saying dirt poor the wealthy had slate floors that would get slippery in the winter when wet so they spread uh, thrash or straw on the floor to help keep their footing as the winters wore on, they then added more thrash until when you opened the door, it would all start slipping outside. Hence, a wood was placed at the entranceway, hence threshold. Didn't know that either. In those days, uh, they cooked the chicken with a big kettle that always hung over the fire. Every day, they lit the fire and added things to the pot. They ate mostly vegetables and did not get much meat. They would eat the stew for dinner, leaving leftovers in the pot to get cold overnight and then start over the next day. Sometimes the stew had food in it and it had been there for quite a while. Hence the rhyme, peas and porridge, hot, peas and porridge, cold, peas, porridge in the pot, nine days old. 
Sometimes they could obtain pork, which made them feel quite special. When the visitors came over, they would hang up their bacon to show it off as a sign of wealth that a man could bring home the bacon. They would cut off a little to share with guests and would sit around eating the bacon and chewing the fat. <laughs> Always heard that, but it's where it came from. Those with money had plates made of pewter. Food with high acid content caused some of the lead to leach into the food, causing the lead poisoning. This happened more often with tomatoes. So for the next 400 years or so, the tomatoes were considered poisonous. And I always heard that back in the day, people did consider tomatoes poisonous. Bread was divided according to the status. Workers got the burnt bottom of the loaf, the family got the middle, and the guests got the top or the upper crust. Lead cups were used to drink ale or whiskey. The combination would sometimes knock the abibers out for a couple of days. <laughs> Someone walking along the road would take them for dead and prepare them for burial. They laid them out on the kitchen table for a couple of days, and the family would gather around and eat and drink and wait to see if they could. They would wake up. Hence the custom of holding a wake. England is old and small, and the local folks started running out of places to bury the dead. So they would dig up a coffin and would take the bones to a bone house and reuse the grave. When reopening these coffins, one out of 25 coffins were found to have scratch marks in the upper inside of the lid, and they realized they'd been burying some people alive. So they would tie a string to the wrist of the corpse, lead it through the coffin and up through the ground and tie it to a belt. Someone would have to sit out there in the graveyard all night, hence the graveyard shift, to listen for the bell. Thus, someone would be saved by the bell or was considered a dead ringer. And so those are a few old sayings. Do you wonder where they came from? All I know is I'm, I'm glad I'm not back there now. <laughs> it, it, was, it was tough going. I had heard the thing about the bell and the string that uh, they, they did that because there were so many people. Because they didn't embalm in those days. They just put you in a box and, and then have a few people come by and say goodbye. And I did know, didn't know that they kind of hung around for a while. Cause you never knew if somebody was really dead. And I don't guess every family had a stethoscope and weren't really good at judging uh, if somebody was alive or dead, but uh, my goodness, <laughs> no matter how bad you think we got it now, we got problems now, but you know, the kind of problems that you sit there and go, uh, I've got to get a new headlight for my Lexus. <laughs> Ain't the same as just filling up the old pot to, uh, to, <laughs> to, uh, tan the hides down the street or having dirt floors. I do know that when I lived in Mexico with my family, when I was growing up and we lived in this big hacienda and we had a maid that lived right next door and they had a thatch roof hut and it had dirt floors. They did have electricity and hung just a, a, a a light bulb hanging straight down from the ceiling. Then they had a big um, um, metal frame bed that was on the dirt floor, but they would sweep the floors. I mean, they'd sweep out the whole yard, really. But chickens just wandered around the yard, into the house, out of the house. And it was, uh, it, and years later, I went back down to uh, El Salvador, Honduras. And when you get out in the countryside, uh, they're still living like that. Now you go to the cities, the cities in Mexico and El Salvador, Honduras, uh, uh, they're modern. I mean, you think you're in the United States, except everybody's speaking Spanish. Uh, but it's, uh, it, there's still very primitive places around the uh, world uh, that uh, you wouldn't believe how they live. And then 
that's why there are so many people willing to do whatever they can to come to this country. And then when they get here and they find out they're going to put you up in a five-star hotel, you may have been living in a dirt floor thatch roof house with one light bulb hanging up. Then you bring your whole family here and they're putting you up in a hotel fee, you three meals a day, give you a health card or a cell phone, a debit card. that has got a couple of thousand bucks on it. And you're going, I ain't going back. And I mean, who can blame them? But then what you have to wonder is how many millions can uh, this country absorb before we end up having dirt floors, thatch roofs, and wondering what happened to our lifestyle because uh, you can only support so much. Uh, anyway, that's, that's the lesson in history for today. Uh, looking around at some other headlines, uh, Iran says at least 103 people were killed, 141 wounded by a blast at a ceremony honoring this guy that got bumped off the other day. Said bodies scattered around the streets. Tehran condemns it as a terror attack. Our national debt is now at $34 trillion and counting. We'll be paying that off before next Christmas. State capitals around the USA evacuated after a hoax bomb threat that went out. Uh, uh, major, the Great Lakes start this year with the smallest amount of ice at half a century. Then the story right below that is major winter storm brewing with snow, ice, and rain to blast the Northeast. I mean, it's like they say, well, it's getting hot. No, well, maybe not. Maybe it's not going to. This is kind of interesting. Scientology faces the RICO Act. I said criminal prize Scientology should face RICO charges. Danny Masterson accusers say church seems to contradict itself in Lee Rimney lawsuit. Uh, when I went to Tampa a few years ago, when I was with the sheriff's office for a, a training seminar and uh, the national headquarters for Scientology is in Tampa. And so Kathy said, let's drive by there and look, let's go by there. So we drive by and it's this big campus. I mean, it's a multi-story building and that has a walkway it goes over this hotel, which is where they all stay when they come in and they're being oriented there. Uh, well, there's all kinds of stories about what goes over there. The people that, that, uh, fall from grace are in there to be deprogrammed. But we saw a lot of the students walking up and they were all dressed like flight attendants. The guys were wearing a, like a blue vest, a shirt and tie and blue slacks. The women wore like a little blue jacket and a, a tie and a blue skirt. And in fact, I, that's what I thought is they look like flight attendants. And we stopped one and asked him, you know, where he's from, how he liked it. They were very friendly and would answer questions. Uh, but you know, there's been several people, uh, here in Memphis, uh, that have been involved in Scientology. Lisa Marie was a Scientologist. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know that, uh, she donated, uh, paid for and donated a lot of money for a building here, uh, in Memphis for as a Scientology, uh, what do you call it? A church or meeting place but uh you go out to hollywood you know tom cruise of course is a very famous scientologist but i do think it's interesting because you have to give like all your money to them now the church of scientology should be labeled a criminal enterprise due to the pattern of racketeering activity says the plaintiffs and the civil harassment case against david miss cabbage led organization and danny masterson with three more rape claims against the uh, incarcerated that 70s show actor and a proposed Second Amendment complaint. The accusers want the L.A. courts to follow the mafia-inspired RICO charges to be included in the case now. 
Uh, it's almost the same time that another lawsuit, the church seems to have kneecapped its own argument that one of the main reasons it harshly criticizes Lee Remini is because the former Scientologist has long been inspiring violence against Scientology and its leadership. Uh, anyway, it's one of those things that uh, he said, she said, and, and uh, I'm sure they'll sort it all out. There was supposed to be a lot of names with uh, Jeffrey Epstein released today uh so far i haven't seen it happen uh supposedly uh, uh bill clinton's name is mentioned 50 times and uh, someone was asked me so so they flew to this island what does that mean well that alone doesn't really mean anything anybody can take a flight on this plane it's the fact that he that epstein was famous for videotaping these celebrity guests with underage people or whatever um and these videos are somewhere around and uh that many of these people are scared to death the videos are going to come out so far we haven't seen any so i guess we'll wait and see what happens there in the meantime we're going to take a quick break and uh we'll be right back the sun is shining i'll say that and it's certainly cheery i've haven't had that much here in the last uh week or two and so take a peek outside it'll brighten your day we'll be back Welcome back on this Wednesday after Christmas. Uh, Vicki Gandy, we go team Gandy, uh, is in the studio. And uh, she said she was listening to the the ancient uh, stories about what people used to do. I mean, it really is amazing. Isn't it? it is. I was laughing about the baby of the bathwater. And I thought, because I have five babies, and I'm thinking, how'd they throw the baby out with the bathwater? <laughs> you know, it's you know like and, and I... I always thought what that meant was be careful before you condemn something that don't throw something good out with something bad. So that was kind of, but I never understood how you could possibly come up with the idea (laughs) that it could be a baby in there somewhere. (laughs) But I guess if you have like eight, nine people that work out on a farm, they all get in a bathtub. The water might be a little brown by the time the baby got in there. My mother-in-law took a family. They were they had eleven children, and they lived in California, and they were not very wealthy. And my, I, th- I think my grand, my husband's father, grandfather, was a um, preacher. Uh, I can't remember what kind, but they did that. They, you know, this is after the depression and everything, and they would um, they would fill up a big tub, and all eleven kids would take a bath. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I made the comment. Kids. And the parents would go first, and then she was the oldest. So I said, I'd hate to be the last one. And, man, she turned and looked at me and gave me the dirtiest look. And I thought, I better shut my mouth. Well, but it th- was funny. You it think just, about it. In, I was like, wow. In our times now, it's, it's always, don't use up all the hot water. Yeah. In those days, it was, well, don't worry about it. We only got one hot water. <laughs> you better get there quick because it don't last long. Well, they used the kettle, and they could fill it up with a kettle. But, golly, I just mm. – and I loved your the wedding analogy. They got married in June. Yeah. They took a bath in May. Wow. <laughs> I think and I the flowers, I, carrying yeah. the bouquet. I did not know. I was like – I was just driving going, wow, this is great. I was laughing to myself. Yeah, well, uh, there – it definitely is. I mean, we were, several years ago, my parents came to see me from Texas, and we drove down to Vicksburg and took a oh, tour yeah. of all the Victorian homes down yeah. there in Antebellum. And they talked about, yeah, when you watch Gone with the Wind, you see all the beautiful mansion and the clothes. There, they was remember there were still white ha- outhouses, and although they did have honey pots for the yeah. the folks at the big house, but still, I mean, you know, what those things called they had another they had another name. My mother had an antique set, and there was a. I called it a peapot when I was a little kid. Yeah. There's a real name, and she called it whatever it was. It's got a it's got a formal name, but yeah, she had the whole set and had the the, but, the 
pitcher, water pitcher and the bowl and the little thing for your soap and all that. And then there was the, the guys, I can't think it's right on the tip of my tongue. Well, it was actually a chair with a seat and then, and there was a pot underneath it. Well, this one didn't, it was something that they would give, they would put under you in the bed, oh. you know, the kind that they had, but it had a lid. It was real pretty. They're all painted with, you know, well, beautiful flowers and gold leaves. It's supposed all that. to make it better. <laughs> Well, look poop, how pretty make that your poop is. Pretty. No, but it. Oh, what was it? Okay, it'll come to me in a little it, bit. Yeah, don't think about it. Let the. I'll remember at three o'clock in the morning. I'll call you. Well, it'll be. The, <laughs> I call it the merry ground memory. Yeah. You just don't think about it. It'll come back around. Yeah, it and will pop up. I'll sit up in the middle of bed. It, yeah. But we it, call Earl. They said that they used to have these fire screens that were set around in front of the fireplace mm-hmm. on these little uh, tripods, and it looked like a microphone screen today. It was kind of a round thing, and it was I think nylon. Oh yeah, yeah. And that was to keep the heat off the ladies' faces because they used to use wax. That's right. They had uh, pock marks when they had either chicken pox or or um, either acne or even scars. You know, yeah, scars from, from injury. And they would fill that with wax and cover it with makeup. Well, if it got too hot, that wax started melting, <laughs> started uh, dripping. Hey, Betty, your your cheeks are going. <laughs> You've well, my great aunt had an antique store in, on um, Cooper and downtown, and it was there forever. And my grandmother and she worked there, and I was—I you know, grew up with it. So th- we had so much of that stuff. My, my mother had one of those fire screens that were like had gold, gold, you know, trim on it, and it had um, not gold, gold leaf, and it had like angels painted on it. And that's what they used to put in front of the ladies because the fires were so hot, and to keep them from burning their catching their dresses yeah. on fire because the sparks would hit. And so you'd see a lot of them that were literally burned, little burn marks on the back of them, the, the true ones that they came from. So, and Mama actually had one in her house for a long time. She loved all that stuff. And I just, I just remember being, having to walk around with my hands folded like together so I wouldn't break anything. So I, I was my grandmother and aunt, don't touch anything. Put your hands together like you're praying. And that's what I learned, or hands in my pocket. Yeah, that's my brother told me, my brother, wherever we went to the store, put your hands in your pocket. Yeah, yeah. Don't touch anything. <laughs> yeah, because you know all that you stuff. You break it, you buy it. <laughs> yeah. I've got a few things left, but most of it's kind of wasn't my thing. But. Well, especially you being in the real estate business and looking at and occasionally coming across really older homes, mm-hmm. you know that if you go to Victorian Village, there, there are no closets in any of those yeah. houses. Oh, there. I know. And the reason was you paid taxes on the rooms, and a closet was actually designated as a room, a separate room, a separate room, and you would have to pay. So that's what they would bring in amours. Yeah, and that's what you put your clothes in. And I remember being down in the in the kitchen at the. Um, the, the lee house mm-hmm. and they had a china closet there in the dining room and they said that was only the really rich people had a clo- a room just for china oh wow yeah yeah and they said see a few the, those in the, old houses. the fact that they actually had a china closet built in like that was a sign that they really wanted to impress people when they came over that you had a room for all the china that's so funny um because i've sold several houses down in that area and i have i remember the first time i listed one i mean not listed one but i was going to write a contract on one and i called my appraiser i said how do i how do i do this and he was like oh you don't we don't we don't we still appraise them the same it's real interesting yeah it is all right we're gonna take a quick break we'll come back and talk about how you get your house ready for sales stay with us and thank you very much and welcome back uh vicky gandy with go team gandy uh and cry like realty is uh, in the studio we were talking some more during the break and we were talking about just leftover food from from christmas and all and she was talking about her black eyed peas that she made this huge pot and i said did you hear my story i was telling yesterday about where black eyed peas and greens and cornbread came from she goes no i she said, i know it's a southern thing because yeah. everybody in the south eats it and i said well it, it came from the civil war 
actually if you go back all the way came from uh, africa and when they brought the slaves to the west indies they, they brought those peas with them because of the that was something you could keep dried mm-hmm. and then rehydrate them and cook them but and then they also brought them then when they were brought to, to the united states to america they brought them with them then but during the civil war when sherman was going through the south burning everything and you know, any fields crops of anything they took all the animals and they went through atlanta they burned atlanta to the ground and what they didn't touch though were fields of black eyed peas because they thought it was just food for the animals and they were taking all the animals so they said what are they gonna do with that and they same thing with with uh collard greens they thought those were just weeds there were, a lot of people think collard greens are weeds and then, <laughs> and they kind of taste like them too <laughs> and so and then the cornbread so it became a thing that's all they had to eat and so they looked at the black eyed peas at new year's as a uh as a, a good luck because yeah the you know the good lord uh hid the peas from the yankees i guess and so we have good luck. We got peas to eat. And then they had the greens, and that was like cash because, you know, they didn't yeah. have any money. So they said that was green and cash. And then the cornbread was like gold because it was dry, made from dried corn, and the Yankees didn't know what to do. They thought that was feed for cows and horses, too. Well, and you said the store and the pigs, you know. Yeah, and the hog, hog, uh, hogs, they didn't touch those because they were nasty. So they left us everything that they thought weren't for human consumption, and we all went, oh, yes, they are. <laughs> and we're still eating. And we're still I had, In fact, we make cheese grits every Christmas morning. And that's one of my favorite things is to make cheese grits. And it, I, I love grits. Now, I know some people think, that's just horrible. I thought, well, you haven't oh, tasted my cheese grits. <laughs> cheese grits are, and especially if you get them kind of crunchy on top with mm-hmm. the, from the oven. The other thing I love that's a great southern dish is, is red beans and rice. Yeah. Which we was all was another poor person's dish. Well, that's kind of what my black eyed peas are. They're almost like a red beans and rice yeah. kind of thing. Consistency have, yeah, of that, yeah. yeah, it's like that. But it's uh, just it's there's so much crap in that thing. I mean, we do we do kabasa uh, and all kinds of stuff in it, and it's really good. And it's kind of like a, it's it's yeah. Cajun. It's yeah. definitely Cajun. Well, and, and that's it, what has happened to Cajun food though is it's gotten so expensive. I mean, you look at places where you used to be able to go and get you know uh, etouffee yeah. or get uh, you know gumbo. Oh, well, no. and that's why they made it. They yeah. took the scraps of everything and put it together. That's all it is. That's all gumball, gumball, gumbo is. Gumbo, yeah. In fact, you go crabbing. Yeah. And you, know, you, I remember we'd go down to Houston and get go to the butcher shop and get horse meat, mm-hmm. and then tie a big heavy cord around it and take it out to the pier in Galveston Bay, and throw them off the little dock there or wrapped in string. And you let the meat sit out for about a day in the sun, so it gets kind of smelly. Ugh. And once those crab latch onto it, they won't let go. And you just pull up the meat, and they're hanging onto them. And I was uh, glad you didn't say you put that in your cup. You're gonna say I put that in my um, my <laughs> stew. Oh well, yeah, oh yeah, okay. Once once it gets real real ripe, it tenderizes it. So you, you put it in that gumbo. It's delicious. A little horse okay, meat. Okay, no, little horse no, meat. We, no, we did not do uh-huh. that. Uh, take it up a notch or two uh, when you're getting a home ready for sale. Uh, it, there are a lot of things you could do, even if you're thinking about selling your home in a year. Oh, oh, two or three years. And and that's the thing. I always tell people, please call me first. Please call me first. Because sometimes they'll spend way too much money on something or they'll pick out something that isn't going to make the house easy to sell because they think it's wonderful. And I've just seen so many bad choices and what money wasted. That's the thing. I had a client who put in these just tremendously expensive cabinets and they're the kind that they they were hand done, and they had to literally wax them every year. You know, they were those. I don't know. I can't remember what kind of wood it was, but they were beautiful. But 
they're like, oh, you know, we pay uh, $40,000 or whatever, $50,000 for these cabinets. And I'm looking at them going, first of all, I wanted to suggest painting them, which is not going to happen because they would have shot me and thrown me out the door. But I'm looking at those going, oh, you know, and I knew them pretty well. And I knew they were going to be moving. They were doctors. And I knew they were going to relocate because they relocated every four or five years. And I looked at that and thought, okay. And it ended up, um, we ended up having to cut the price of the house. And then the other thing she did, she had a stone fireplace. The fireplace was, the house was all stone. It was really pretty, but it was different. Kind of looked like the Brady Bunch house. And the stone like fireplace. Like modern with yeah, stone? Yeah, with stone, all white. All, you know, it had had more levels, but it looked like, you know, one level house. Huge lot and big house. I mean, it was almost a, it was a million dollar house. But she decided to rip out, and it had the big, tall vaulted ceiling with the beams and the whole bit. And um, she decided to rip out the entire, that huge fireplace, and which is a structural thing, which they had to rebuild yeah, the front of the house. Hold up the house. Yeah. And then um, put in one of those kind that are long and skinny to rectangular. It's like the flame. Yeah. And and she did that. And she redid the floors and everything in there. But she didn't do the like the other den and the other parts. So you'd walk from one room to another. And they're like, it's like, you know, 2023 20, or whatever it is. And then next, next is like 1970. And so I'm like butting my head against the wall, going, I, you know, really, I couldn't and, say and that. And you got to be careful because you don't want to say, "Are you an idiot?" <laughs> no, and I. Just, so you have you to know, sit there and say, "Okay." But they're wanting top dollar because they've spent all this money, yeah. and it's just really, uh, it's always a good idea to bring either a decorator or somebody that is in real estate like I am and can say, you know, because people will call me. I have some people that are fabulous to say, "We're going to paint our walls. Is it okay to paint it this color?" Paint's cheap. You can be. You can paint your. Walls yeah, I've heard purple. you say it many times. Yeah. Paint is cheap. Paint is cheap, and you can always kill it and paint something else, but it's just when you start doing other things, structural things, and also ripping out a fireplace and putting something in that is really kind of a faddish thing. That's kind of a fad. Like, that's going to go away. I mean, there, if you have a real contemporary house in New York or something, or an apartment or something, that would work. But in a house like this, it just doesn't fit. And it would have been much better to re- change the stone or, or re- even refinish the stone i've seen people do tricks with the stone and lighten it up and that kind of thing and you know um but anyway they didn't so we we got it to work but it was i made i had to have them redo the next room and kind of update it to where it sort of flowed because there was no flow house needs a flow yeah um and there's just so many things i mean there's a list a mile long of things to do because the more you do i always tell people perception is reality if somebody who's maybe not real neat and kind of sloppy and they walk in a perfect house it's everything's nicely and organized and in its place they're going to go oh if i live here i'll be organized like these people and i hear people say that they'll say oh this is so great this is how i want to live and that's what you want to present you want to be the house that everyone wants because they want to live like that you may have you know and there and you also feature like i have my screened in porch you've been to my house mm-hmm. and you take the features like that and and there's you know it may not you know, like some people won't care about the rest of the rooms because they love that porch or they love my kitchen or they love, you know, there's usually one or two rooms they fall in love with and the other ones they don't really worry about. But you've got to feature those things. And that becomes the hook. Yeah. And the thing is, if you do it right, you know, you can kind of the other things can be just slightly done, but it's just closets. Like you have a big closet, make it look. I tell people take 50 percent of everything out of your closet. Make it look huge. Mm-hmm, and then just put, you know, just put a few things in and, and have them open. So you have all the space and people just love that. Especially get rid of the husband's clothes because they're all old. <laughs> there was a guy that was so funny, and I take pictures of stuff. I'll take my phone. I went to this one guy's house, and he had a peg 
thing on his wall, and he had every set of jeans hung by the pa- on the by the little loop, loop, all facing the same way. And I mean, they were all designer jeans, and they were all hanging exactly the same. And it was real cool. And I was like, "That's such a good idea." And it made us. And then he had his other stuff really organized. He was a he was a clothes hog, you tell. Yeah. But I was cracking up, going, "Who would have thought of that? What a cool idea!" Well, my side of the closet does not look like that. <laughs> Oh, mine looks like a tornado. I have so much stuff, and we have a huge closet, and I just cram more stuff in it, and then I'll go through it and clean it out a while. But oh yeah, it would. I can. I can tell you. I tell you, don't do as I do. Do as I say. <laughs> well, it's like Kathy. Uh, we have this big walk-in closet, and I have the, the 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 rack to the left as you come in. Yeah. Top and the bottom. Then ha- it used to be the whole side, no, no. but now I've just got half of that. <laughs> Her stuff is there. Then she got the other two, uh, the other side, in the middle. Then she's got the the office closet, and, oh, I have and now she has the my daughter's old bedroom closet. Mm-hmm. There's my son's old bedroom that stuff in there. But the thing is, she buys clothes that are really timeless. Yeah, and I didn't really know what that meant. But now we've been married thirty seven years. Her stuff she's bought twenty years ago that doesn't look dated at all because oh, she doesn't buy trendy stuff. She buys stuff that's really well made. And expensive, but yeah. that's the reason it's expensive is because it's well made. And well, and it's, like you said, it's classic. Like this vest I've got on. This is this was my mother's, and she's been gone. I mean, she bought this thing for 30, 20, 30 years yeah. ago, and it's it's reversible. Has you know um, the leather on one side and the fur. She my mother was a fur freak. She had more fur coats than most people had. You know, eyelashes or something. It was crazy. But she um she had all these, and she was big buddies with King's Furs and um. I forgot the other guy's name. Swan- no, Twan- no, Swanky was a jewelry, jewelry guy, but she was that was her other thing too. So she, she loved all that. So we had, I think, when she died, she had like twenty eight fur coats. Or wow! I mean, it was like I was just and and she loved white fur, and I'm not a big white fur person, so I'm like, here, you want a fur coat? You know, <laughs> I was calling on my aunts and uncles and cousins, hey, you want a coat? You know, and my friends, I gave them away. Um, when Carmen and I, my partner in real estate, she's got one. She's got one of the short ones that was a short jacket that she loves. And it's like. But they do remember. last forever. They do. And, and they, I've got a and long they are one, warm. too. Yeah. They are warm. They are. Or uh, to the Memphis game. <laughs> well, we'll, was, talk, we'll talk about that when we come back. We're going to take a quick break. We've got, we got Vicki Gandy in, and I want to talk about the really neat place I went down in Mississippi. And yeah. they're doing the new thing or these um, redoing and making country farmhouses, but the modern version of them. Oh, cool. And really cool. So we'll talk yeah. about that when we come back. Welcome back on this Wednesday afternoon. Vicki Gandy with Go Team Gandy and Cry Like is uh, in-house with me this afternoon. Uh, I had a chance to go down to a place called Taylor, Mississippi uh, for New Year's with our, uh, some good friends of ours to spend New Year's there. And it's the coolest little community. Uh, there's a Taylor, the old Taylor uh, grocery store that's there. It's about seven miles outside of Oxford. Now, which way? Is it north or south? I think it's right? east of east Oxford. East of Oxford? Okay. And uh, we actually drove through Oxford and then made a right-hand turn, and okay. it's right there. So seven miles, and there's no place to stay. All these people are building homes outside Oxford and inside Oxford of these condos and stuff because there's no place to stay when they right. have football games. I know. I know a lot of – I've had several friends that rent theirs out. Oh, and, and pay for them. Yeah. Just by renting oh, them out Well, that game. and then baseball season, same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, – they built, just finished their their house, and what I was so amazed was because I look at the details, the the uh, crown molding around the ceiling is like ten inches wide. <laughs> uh, same thing on the the floor molding. Oh, I love the baseboards that are yes. big. Yeah, we 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 reflect the houses we flip. We do that. We change them out to the the four inch or five inch whatever. And it like is. this door right here, you got three hinges, four hinges on yeah. all the doors. Yeah. I mean, it's and 
you just and then when you open and close everything fit. i mean i'm sitting there going i am very impressed with the craftsmanship in this house yeah and he said well i didn't know the builder before but how lucky is that no to, to find a builder that builds your house from ground up and it turns out they have such an attention for detail of course that's part of your fiduciary responsibility is be there as much right, as possible of course. to see if they're doing a good job on it oh i know that <laughs> Other than I mean, all the flips, I've that, done. that's why you have all these preferred vendors that yeah. you guys use because you know the last thing you want is to go to the expense of building a three or four hundred thousand dollar little weekend getaway, mm-hmm. and then you come down there and and it, it it's shoddy work because like, no. then you got to sue and you got I mean it's such a hassle or refuse to close and threat you know and I, I had I've heard stories from some of my good friends who that's happened to they'll they'll get ready to close and they'll they'll do it you know because we always. Anybody we're friends with or whatever, because my husband's a home inspector, we get someone that's licensed down there to do a home inspection, and people say, oh, you don't need it on a new house. You need it on a new house better more than anything because there's so many things that they cut corners on and miss, and and I have never had – and I've had every house I've ever built as a new build because I'm a new build expert. I have all that training, too. Um, I always do all that, and we go through, and I actually tell them, sometimes bring the inspector in two or three times. We get to a certain point, and like my son, Andrew, um, he does a lot of the wiring for like the sound and all the tech stuff, the like the smart house. Yeah. yeah. And he was talking about like he he's seen some things that weren't right as he's, and he'll tell he's the homeowner. He's doing his job. Yeah, he's like, you know what? Coming across is, stuff, mm-hmm. yeah. Because so the electrician leaves it for him, and he does it for the drywall. So yeah, there's a lot of things, and that's another thing too. I'm a new build expert. I have been... Um, and I work with Memphis, well, not Memphis, it's Memphis. East, I've called it Memphis homeowners, home, homeowners for so long. Home builders, I mean, it's uh, Shelby County home builders, I guess now. But um, I worked with them, and and the neat thing is, you you have, I mean, we know how to look for certain things, or if we don't know who to look for, we know who to tell you to come in and and check things out. And it's just a good idea to have these inspections. I mean, yeah, you have your code inspectors come through and sign off on stuff. That doesn't mean it's done right. No. I've had plenty of electrical. That just means they meet code. Yeah. And a lot of times I've had electrical people sign off on something they haven't truly looked at. And then we find out later it's not right. And then we got to rip out stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just with the new build stuff. I've, I mean, not new build. I've done a lot of renovations just overseeing. And it's just, it's constant. And you, you never know who you're going to get. Um, you never know who's going to pass you. And sometimes they shouldn't have. Yeah. And, they ha- and they do. And that's, I've run into that. And then things have to be ripped out later because there's right. nothing worse than a well, yeah. which, which is the other thing about you having the experience you do have, because now I have been built three houses myself. I, I see his place. I'm looking outside. It's clapboard on the outside. Yeah. And I'm looking around the the door coming out for the house to the little screened porch. And I'm noticing the clapboard. Every joint has been caulked. Yeah. Around the door. That means every every uh, place it meets a window or door throughout that house has been caulked. Well, well you don't yeah. see that. No. And I was reading. Um, there's, I'm in a part of a club that's on Facebook that I that I get things from because I'm in real estate, and these these guys send these things every day. Hey, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? And you'll see you'll see you know like they're doing they're framing a, a shower with drywall, and I mean it can be done, but it's not really. There's a lot better you know hardy plant. There's a lot of other hardy wards and a lot of other things that you can use. And then they'll the, and you'll look and they'll say what's wrong with this? And I'll think well first it's drywall and yeah. shouldn't be that. And then I start noticing there's like two nails, you know. One, two, one, two, one, two, like six nails on the entire thing. And it should be like so many inches, you know, because that's going to be, it's got to be waterproof. So the wall needs to be sound before you even start waterproofing it. And it's, and they're like, yeah, you can do this to it, but good luck. Cause in so many years, your tile is going to start falling off. You know, it's, it's crazy. Exactly. And it's the flooring too. When you're walking on the yeah. flooring, do you hear 
your steps as you're walking or is it so tight that you don't hear of somebody upstairs walking on the carpet well that's a great one (laughs) but the funny thing about that when i lived in i grew up in river oaks and they were building all these new builds past us we were the first we were the last house on the street and there were only like five houses um in river oaks the part we were in and um, past us they were building all these houses so i'd go through them all and i remember going second story we'll get ready to go take a break (laughs) Uh, we gotta go okay uh, give a phone number where they get in touch with you. Get more information. 412-2691-GoTeamGandy.com. Uh, experience does matter, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Vicki Gandy. All right, we'll see you next week. Okay, we're right. going to take a break. We'll be back. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere. A radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Uh, joining me in the studio right now is Mike Adams who uh, is a businessman, but he also is a line uh, judge. Uh, he's a, a, operates the Dow markers, and, uh-huh. and sometimes it's the review box. The, uh-huh. the, the, uh, when they review a play, he stands there and says, look into the box. Well, I hand my headphones over to him. I yes, do a really, you, you hand, and, and you make sure they're warm, too. And, before and you. What's really neat, when I tell people I do the replay, they go, what do you think about that play? They think I was the one yeah, that made the decision. And, yeah. I just made sure that the uh, screen was on. <laughs> and even that guy really doesn't matter. He, he looks at it, but isn't he also talking to New York or someplace else? It, each place is a little different. Um, if they have the uh, um, – sometimes they have the booth right there on location. Sometimes it's in New York. And the only bad part about when it's in New York, there's a little bit of delay. A lag, yeah. So the, you know, the referee's got to sit there and wait for the information to get to him. Um, but they, they just kind of go back and forth. First of all, they always make sure that the rule – you know the the rules correct when they're when they're reviewing it and then they just you know start looking at different frames different views and one says hey this is what i have this is what i have and the the ultimate decision maker is the referee but the uh the, the guy that in the replay booth is kind of trying to you know hey this is what i have this is what i have and um and i, I still think it's pretty amazing when we sit there and watch it on on tv and it you know you're going frame by frame by frame and you can't tell whether the guy's foot is out of bounds or did that ball hit or not and uh, you know, I know I'm biased, but those referees making the uh, call on the field when that, that 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 speed is a lot faster than you realize. And the fact that you go back and look at it, and they're they're pretty accurate. Um, most of the time, they are. And and I, I I always tell my friends, you know, just when we were watching games this weekend, when you're watching it from a fan perspective, you always want it your way. Yeah. I mean, it just you just, want your team to come out on top. Just natural. And uh, you know, and then when it goes against you, you go, "Oh man, that's not right." And uh, you know, the the referees typically, <laughs> I like to believe, you know, have have no dog in the fight, so to speak. So that, you know, they're they're making the correct call, and, and and some of those get pretty hard. I mean, you, you think about, I think it was the uh, the Alabama game, uh, Michigan game. I mean, kids, the guy's receiver, I mean, depending on what angle you're looking at, you couldn't tell whether that foot was in bounds or out of bounds on that very first play. And, uh, that, you know, that becomes pretty huge um, of a call. But, um, you know, when you slow it down frame by frame, I think you have a better look. But that speed on the field, man, I, I don't think most fans realize how how fast the game is. And, and in fact, I really kind of forgot because I don't go to that many live games. And uh, we were at the Liberty Bowl and mm-hmm. sitting in the end zone about 14 rows up. 
and really had a great view of the field from there. Mm-hmm. And I was watching you down there. I just, you know, I was freezing to death. And it wasn't like uh, 28 degrees. It was like 38, something like that. But it was cold. There was it's a cold. wind. Yes. And uh, were you cold on the sidelines? Well, luckily enough, I ended up running up, running up and down the field enough. My hands get a little cold because you're just holding that pole. <laughs> yeah, and it's metal. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the, I was I was a little actually I was a little bit colder the first half than I was the second half. Um, but you know when you start moving around, that helps quite a bit. You, you do have the barrier of the players for the wind and stuff like that. But that was that was a great game too. That was it was uh, a good game. Um, obviously, one of the uh, great win for Memphis. I mean, they just played phenomenal. They did to hold the uh, you know a power five team to zero yards rushing. Um, man, they they just played. Is that they, what it turned out? Zero yeah, yards rushing. Zero zero yards rushing. That's just phenomenal for to hold any yeah. team to that. Um, but that that was a fun, that was a fun game, and like I said, great win for Memphis. I mean, it, I mean, I, I think each one of their players just had their their key game at the right time. Yeah, I agree, uh, and I think the people from Iowa had a good time. I mm-hmm. saw them, a bunch of them inside the uh, Pipkin Building eating the buffet. Yeah, when when we walked we, we walked in there to the buffet and. And again, we're just the the helpers. We're not the real officials. Just because we have the pants on and stuff like that, people think we're the the real officials. When we first walked in, I mean, it was almost kind of got quiet. Then we kind of had a yay, and then boo. And, and my my thought was, you're really going to boo the refs before, before the, the game? game? <laughs> you know, I can understand it's not that a smart move. <laughs> <laughs> but but people kept. It's really funny because people are coming up and wanting their picture taken with us and yeah. stuff like that. And, and again, we're we're just helpers, but you know we are part of the yeah you know, technically part would, of the crew. I but wouldn't it, downplay it at all. I think you know without you guys, they couldn't. The guys that are out there on the field couldn't do what they do. Yeah, so. it, it 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 really is fun because you, you do become part of it. Um, you know you're you're spotting the ball and or you know the the down marker and you know it, it is important and uh, you realize how fast they are when they come flying out of bounds and almost run over you and that's how that's when you realize how big they are too. Yeah, well, that's what I would realize because I I would be if I was holding the down marker when I saw him getting like fifteen yards away, I'd be throwing the down marker down and moving out of the way. Well, you, you, I'm sure you've seen many times. There's been games where you know the the down marker guy tries to hold a spot, and either the down marker gets uh, bent in two, or yeah. the uh, player gets stabbed with the uh, down marker. And the Alabama guy, man, they the guy went right through the down marker, yep. knocked it. Uh, he was in his arms as he was running out of bounds. I, I just called him an amateur. Uh, down holder <laughs> yeah he didn't handle that well at all uh then the but, uh, i noticed when all the rest are coming in they have a police uh sheriff's uh-huh. office uh bring them in with these white bands we're we're, we're part of that yeah <laughs> and i was somebody was standing next to me i was with a bunch of my friends from the sheriff's office they said you know they bring all the not just the rest but their families come in and those uh they have mm-hmm. bands for them too yeah. so you, usually what they do it's kind of cool you do get a police escort from the from the hotel that they stay in to the to the um, to the game, and you know the the cool part about the police escort, you know, you don't have to stop at stoplights. No. You know, they stop and go around it. Um, during the regular get re, regular season, they quit doing the uh, the the high speed getting there. Um, unfortunately, there was an accident last year or the year before um, where the cop was sitting there Blocking stopping traffic. traffic, and you know somebody hit him, so they quit doing that. But anyway, they they every you know the usually the game officials are on one bus. We're either in a bus behind them or in, a, in like two vans or something like that. Um, most of the mo- during the regular season, most of the time they they don't have family with them, stuff like that. But for the uh, for the uh, bowl games, they usually you know it's not unusual to wife or a kid or yeah, something like that'll be with cool. them. And uh, they're, so they're usually on one bus, and then when they get to the stadium, 
there, there, there really is a lot of stuff you got to do before the game. But they get to the stadium. The wives kind of go off and do their thing. They were over in the tent where you were. Um, we have there's a guy that takes them around. Don Williams uh, kind of highlights uh, the, all the women stuff like that. Um, just kind of makes it for a fun day for them. So that, you know they're not just sitting there. And then they also have a spot up in the press box where they get to sit. Um, but uh, it, and then also the beforehand the referees have to do a bunch of stuff. They got to check some stuff with the coaches. You got to go out on the field. But the, the the referees are there about two and a half hours before the game starts. Uh, just I'm looking at something that says Alabama coach reportedly leaving for SEC rival after Michigan loss. Have you heard anything about this, Saban? Oh, I guarantee you, Saban's not leaving. I, I would think he would. No, not. That's probably one of the. I, oh, I'm, wait, wait. An Alabama assistant coach yeah. is reportedly leaving the Crimson Tide. That happens every year. Yeah, I don't. I don't, I, I think Nick's going to be there. You know, I, I call him Nick because we're good friends. Because you are good friends. And uh, <laughs> but I, I think he's going to be there till he decides to quit coaching football. I mean, too, I mean, he just uh, he's he's got all his seven national championships are there. Yeah. Why would he go someplace else? Yeah. I actually, I, I guess I dislike Alabama because they win all the time, but. I actually saw a uh, on I think it was Saturday morning, Sunday morning, a uh, little little show, and it was talking about all the coaches that he's brought in and, and gone off to coach other places yeah, yeah. when when they were young, and he kind of trained them now that they're on the places, and then how well he's done with you know bringing a coach when they when they get fired that they come in you know Lane Kiffin was on his staff for a while, um, how you know he brings them in and uh, kind of gives them something to do for a while, see how he does things and how they take it out. And how often those coaches got fired when they went out to their next thing, how much more successful they were from being part of that, seeing what the program is. And he wasn't taking credit for it. He was taking credit for the hard work that they do while they're there. In fact, here's a picture of Lane Kiffin after the uh, their game at Ole Miss. <laughs> and it's his new girlfriend. <laughs> she looks like she's 22 years old. I, I bet she's 23. Maybe 23. <laughs> I'm sure they're going, well, all right. Uh, you know, a little thing about Lane Kiffin, I think, and I'm sure you know, or the fans probably know, but he trained their, his dog when they do when they do kickoffs at Ole Miss games. The dog goes out there and gets the tee off the field and runs back. Is that his dog is Willie or something? Because I, I saw on ESPN, I was watching that day, and they said, uh, "I see your dog over there on a leash behind you. You don't let him come up and be on camera." He goes, he gets enough camera time or FaceTime. <laughs> when, when, at their at their games, he, he when he usually runs out there to get tea, he gets a little bit of a uh, standing go. Yeah, I wouldn't say standing, but he gets a good good uh, good cheering for himself. Uh, we're talking with Mike Adamson uh, about college football. We're going to talk uh, after the break. We're going to go to a break. We we'll come back uh, about the most controversial uh, ruling I've seen come out of the NFL in a long time. Not that I think it was that controversial. It's just because it was. It, it turned out to be good for Dallas. Everybody hates it. It's well, it, it was bizarre. That, that's as much as I can say about it. But we'll, we'll go into more detail in we'll, a minute. We'll talk about it when we come back. So stay with us. And welcome back on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. We got Mike Adamson in, who's uh, used to be with the station but he's always been a big sports person and does a lot of football refereeing and in high school and does sideline work for a lot of the big games in college and uh, we were just talking about uh, all the games uh, the bowl games a lot of great games uh, there were a couple of dogs that were out there yeah a couple i mean that always happens but uh, friday night yeah, yeah obviously we had the uh, the memphis game which was great unfortunately ohio state actually the ohio state missouri game 
second half was awesome. The first half was ugh. yeah, <laughs> it, was, yeah. It, was, it was a little slow, but uh, there were definitely some good ball games. Fun to watch. And then you have uh, a lot of people that thought that uh, the um, Florida State should have been in the Final Four, <laughs> yeah. but after that game, but you know something like nineteen of the regular players for Florida State did not suit up for the game. Yeah, I, I don't. In my opinion. I don't think you can judge Florida State by what happened in that ball game. No, because during the regular season they were thirteen and zero, and you can't go wrong with that. And uh, you know, so I, I still think they deserve their spot in there. But obviously, unfortunately for that game, it, it didn't end too well with them. But when they, when they're missing that many players, and it wasn't just that it was the nineteen or how many ever players it were, it, it, it was guys at every, almost every key position. Starting that they position. Lost. Well, it was the portal. Um, Everybody uh, it was either going for the NFL, uh, going to go for the NFL, or want to transfer to another school. And they said, "We're not going to get worse getting hurt in this game. That doesn't mean anything because you can't. We don't have a shot at winning the national title." Yeah. Well, so does the portal end up ruining college football for not just that reason, but that it takes scholarships away from all these high school kids getting ready to come out and graduate this year? If all these schools have uh, players that they're picking up extra. That are coming from Alabama, someplace else, or Florida State. That means they have that many fewer scholarships to offer high school graduates. Yeah, there, there's an extent to that. I mean, there's each each school has an X amount of number of of, of uh, scholarships. So if a if a guy leaves, you know, uh, Alabama and goes to Texas, um, that opens up that scholarship at, at, at one spot. So it it, it, it kind of that part I think kind of works its way out. But I, I think the big difference is you you, you don't you, those those freshmen coming in or you know when you're trying to recruit them you say yeah I think you're going to be a good starter you're going to be a good starter come play for us blah 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 and then all of a sudden they get a new starting quarterback from the portal I, I don't think they lied to the kid but it, it definitely things, changes things can change <laughs> that and you also look at uh, if the, the same scenario that happened to, to Florida State so you don't make the final four or next year will be the final six. And all the players go, well, I'm not going to play. Yeah. So where's the loyalty? Where's the incentive to get them to play? I, and, I, I, you know, the, and I think the, the NIL money tied into that kind of causes some problems. And I, 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 I'm just taking a stab. They're going to start fine-tuning some of that. Cause you, you realize it's still, that stuff's still – all of this is brand new still. Yeah. Um, so I, I think they got to fine-tune some of that. Um, it's really unfortunate for, you know, Georgia, Florida State, if that would have been the last game of the season, it would have been an awesome ball game. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I th- in my opinion, I think Georgia probably would have won that. Georgia's a darn good team, um, but uh, you know that, that that portal and the NIL, it, it's definitely changing the field. Um, and, and from a player's perspective, I, I, I don't blame them. I mean, again, we're 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 in America, the free enterprise system, so to speak, and and that's what they're they're doing for themselves. You know, where, where can I better myself? Um, you know, so the, you, when people say, "Yeah, there's no loyalty and stuff like that," well, there's really no loyalty back to the kid. I mean. You know, if somebody comes in better than him, they're going to play somebody better. So I, I don't, I can't fault the kids for wanting to go somewhere where they're either going to get more money or guaranteed playing time. Um, but it's definitely changing the uh, the impact of the teams. Um, you know, even as from a fan perspective, you know, you start liking, you know, just Texas, and all of a sudden, you know, they recruit somebody from the, the team you've hated for, you know, from Oklahoma. You got to start liking that kid. Well, it's. Uh... And just look at some of the results. Uh, the Relia Quest Bowl, it was number 13 to LSU, 35, Wisconsin, 31. And LSU was a contender all year long, but mm-hmm. and they were ranked 13th, but yet uh, they had no shot at a national title. Yeah, and, and they were in 
they 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 lost their their quarter their number one quarterback who Heisman Trover Jalen Daniels. Um, he was sitting out. Um, you know, and, and they had a number of other players that didn't play either. But you know, they they still won their ball game. Um, LSU, I think. What did you say? They were thir- ranked thirteenth. Yeah. You know, so they weren't going to be in the. Uh, in the title hunt, but you know when you go next year into the playoff hunt, they're right there on the borderline of uh, of being in there to the twelve team playoff when you're number thirteen. So, and that that's going to be quite interesting because you could get somewhere like the Big Ten and in the in the uh, SEC having four or five teams in there, and then just the other teams from the conference championships being there. But that I think that's going to be good for football. And then you had uh, Georgia, which uh, you know won the SEC championship. And they were down there with uh, Florida State playing Florida State, mm-hmm. and just of course just yeah. And, and again, George, you, you think about it. You went from the week before they were number one, yeah. Then they go to the conference championship, number six, and they, and they lose to Alabama. And not only they get knocked down to number six, but you get out of the You're national not, title hunt, not and, in contention. And uh, you know it's it def- definitely unfortunate for Georgia because, in my opinion, I think they deserve to be in there. Then you had Tennessee that played Iowa. And Tennessee, I mean, they killed them thirty-five to nothing. I don't like it. I don't like Tennessee. They don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then you had, of course, uh, Washington Huskies versus. Uh, well, let's talk about the. Well, I, before we do that, uh-huh. uh, okay, we're going to save the NFL thing for yeah. last. Gotcha. So we've got some time left here. Uh, let's see where we are. Uh, Twenty-seven. We got two <laughs> minutes. Uh, talk about the Rose Bowl in that game. I mean, did, what surprised you about, if anything, that game, the Rose Bowl? I, I, to me, it was just two very equally matched teams. I mean, Alabama's a, a darn good team. There's, there's no doubt. Michigan obviously was, you know, a number one, number two all year long. Um, it was just a, a evenly matched ball game, kind of going back and forth. And I, and I think the best thing, the best thing about it, when that game was over. Even though Alabama got beat, they they can't be sitting there going, "We got screwed," or no. "This happened, this happened." I agree. That game. Michigan was the better team. I, I think. I think if those two teams played each other ten times, it's probably going to be five and five. I mean, they were they were pretty evenly evenly matched, and it was just a who's going to have the ball last. Yeah, really? a, a fun ball game. Uh, again, just good evenly matched team. The you know Michigan's defense was phenomenal. I think that's what really won the game for them. In, in my opinion, I think what they have like six sacks, something like that. Yeah. Um, but to, you know, it's just a evenly matched game, and and as a fan. I, I, whether you're an Alabama or a Michigan fan, that's how you want every ball game to go. You know, you, you, it comes down to the end. And yeah, nobody wants to see a blowout. I, I mean, I don't care who you're for. You don't want to see some uh, team lose. Uh, although I did enjoy Texas beating Alabama 69 <laughs> to nothing. I thought that was a great game. Well, it, you know, for, from a fan, you always want your team to win. And for afterwards, it's fun to say you won 69 to nothing. I think if you're sitting there down, you got a group of people. Let's sit down, and watch this game, and all of a sudden it's a it's a 69 blowout. I got to admit, <laughs> even that game, I got up at halftime. I think I was out working in the yard. Or something. Exactly. I mean, there's no reason. There's other than just seeing them go through the motions. And, well, we we had a group. There's probably about 20 of us somewhere in that range, and uh, watching the you know the Michigan Bama game. And I mean, everybody was in front of the TV from kickoff. Yeah, you didn't want to miss it to the end. And uh, you know, usually you get you know a couple of people over here talking, not really caring at all. And um, you know, that's to me as a fan, that's how I want I want the games to be. And really, the 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 shame of the Alabama game was that it was they really lost that through some mistakes. And yeah. the center had three bad snaps, yeah. and three bad snaps in a game like that could make a huge difference, and it did. Oh yeah, and. You know, another one you th- you think about how 
huge of an impact it could have been was that punt at the very end when uh, Bama punted to Michigan and that guy stopped it from going. What he fumbled number one, but he did stop it from going into a touchback. He he should have never been trying to catch that, but that that was like I bet I bet Harbaugh had a heart attack at that moment. But the kid had a heart attack. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Mike Adamson is in studio. We're talking football, and we were talking about the, all the game, and he's still got the, the big one coming up next Monday, which will be between Washington and uh, and uh, Michigan. Michigan. And that should be a barn burner. Who are you who are you picking on that one? I'm still I'm still going for Michigan all the think, way. That's what I'm uh-huh. hoping goes. And uh, I, I think, in my opinion, the defense is going to help quite a bit. But man, Washington's a quick team. Yeah, and that guy the he's, that guy's a six year senior. You're saying? Yeah, he, he, he's a man out there. Yeah, <laughs> he's got a family of eight. And Mike, uh, Michael Penix. Uh, I mean, get just a he can run the ball. He can uh, pass the ball. In fact, he, I, we were talking earlier. He, he was at IU. His biggest problem at IU, he, he kept getting hurt, um, but it was also because IU, <laughs> IU wasn't very good. Um, they had now, nobody protecting. Yeah, now he has the uh, the lineman and all that kind of stuff to uh, I think to help him out a little bit. But that was uh, that was pretty darn exciting. Well, it's um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And the coach for uh, Michigan, there's a lot of talk about him uh, leaving there. And in fact, he's trying to get an offer from Michigan before the Michigan game. Because that's his bargaining power. Right. And then he's also going to, they're saying, well, he just wants that so he can use it for leverage on some NFL team that's wanting him. And again, you sit there and you get mad about that stuff, but I mean, it's he, business. he's doing what's best for him. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's also going to be, I think <laughs> Harbaugh is probably going to get in trouble somewhere about that. You know, the cheating spy scandal uh, is going to probably come up and bite him a little bit. But you know that wasn't him. It's just you're the. They yeah. said somebody was doing it. They said you're the coach. You get the blame for yeah. it. Yeah, and and unfortunately that happened. You know, it's no different than if a player goes out and does something stupid, the coach the coach gets blamed for it. And and you know sometimes that's just happening. And you know on his part, you know he's responsible for his staff, so he should know what's going on. But. Yeah, but I don't think that's even really fair. I mean, look at around the house. You blame it on the dog, right? <laughs> that's what I <laughs> Your do. Your little brother. <laughs> You got somebody to blame it on, and did he become a coach? Now you got to take the rap for everything. Yeah, it, and I, I can't help but think he had to know something about it, but you know, maybe really not knowing, but knowing. You know what I mean? I don't even see what advantage they think they were going to get from. Yeah, and the, the bigger thing is, you, you, you may know the sign, you're going to know the play. Yes, that helps. You still got to defend it, still got to stop it, things like that. And then, how do you get the message to your players? Because I mean, you, you got no instant communication with them, even yeah. if you do know. And I, I think the biggest thing, it, most most of the coaches now, they they have they go all on tendencies. You know, what do they do on third and down? What do they do on third and two? What do they do on second and five? Are they going to run past this play? And the amount of information that the coaches get anyway, just from their their own scouting reports that they get. Um, I, I think that's where. <laughs> but it wasn't like, remember, was it the Houston Astros that were were beat on a trash can to give out signals to the team of what was coming next? <laughs> they they were they were using video to get the other team's signals for you know knowing whether curveballs coming in fastball, and that's pretty important because you know. But, but then they would beat on a trash can in the dugout like. Yeah. To, oh, oh 
Three's a strike <laughs> to to uh, to you know give out that information and it made made a big difference I think <laughs> and you do gain an advantage on that if you know you're going to get a curveball compared yeah. to a fastball you you set up differently you may have a guy stealing uh, whatever so you actually in in the pro in major league baseball you got to start swinging before the ball even leaves the pitcher's hand almost yeah I, I do believe uh, they say it's almost scientifically impossible to be able to hit the ball you know from the speed of the ball especially if a ball goes over i think they said 96 mile an hour how you can time it to hit it um you know from your swing and the speed of the ball coming in that's pretty amazing and i I truly believe baseball hitting a baseball is one of the hardest the hardest sports throw well that's after little league i went that's it for me (laughs) okay let's talk about the the big controversial play of the week maybe the year the dallas cowboys playing the Detroit Uh lions uh is down toward the end of the game and Detroit has the ball. Uh, they're behind. Yep. They go and they sit up scoring a touchdown, and they set up to go for two, which will put them give them a one point lead and the win. Yep. And so they have a a, a player that been being a lineman that had desig, been designated as a receiver, a, a person that could receive a pass right uh, all day long, and he would go up to the referee and say, "I'm still eligible. I'm still eligible." In this play. He comes up and stands there. 68 comes up and is trying to get his attention, but you, you, I've seen the replays. The referee's still looking at number 70. Right. And then he runs over and tells the uh, defensive uh, captain for the Cowboys, number seven is 70 is still eligible. Right. And it's all documented. Right. So if he was trying to pull a fast one, uh, he would have come up and denied that, but he never got the message that 68 was saying, well, I'm eligible, yeah. or he would have given it because that's the rules. Yeah, I, I think the part, part just back up just a little bit further. When, when the referees go talk to the coaches before the game, right. one of the things, hey, you got anything unusual that's going to happen during this game so we can be prepared for it? Right. Usually the coaches go through everything. This particular game, uh, the coaches you know, went over and told them what they're going to do, that kind of thing. So the referees knew this play was coming, you know, and all, all you got to do is you come in and say, hey, this play, you, you can't say number 70 is going to be eligible all game. That it can only be each time. Yeah, each time he's going to be eligible, you need to come up and tell him. And so then the referee then tells the defense, most of the time they end up announcing it over the announcing, you know, that, hey, well, number 70 is going to be eligible, blah, blah, blah. I think on this play, I, I think that, in my opinion, what happened, Detroit did a good job of, you know, setting up the play, and then if when you look at it, they sent three guys that are over there talking to the to the referee, and I think the referee got. I th- I believe he made a mistake when you know that each player told him who's going to be eligible, and then they broke three broke away, and I think I think the reason Detroit did that they're trying to throw off um, Dallas or you know the other team on hey who's eligible who's eligible because they're you know noise you may not hear who's who who it is, and so I think their own little deception trip trick kind of Which caught up to them. what it was they were supposed to they were trying to deceive dallas by showing these three guys yeah to make them wonder which one it was when they knew they were going to have to announce it to the yeah. defense and, and i'm just taking a stab every time the the, the announcers or the referee announces something the players probably don't hear it because it because it is so loud um but i i think there was you know i, I, I do believe the, the official got things mixed up and it probably was you know again things are going pretty fast down there um, got a lot of things going on, and it okay. All... Well, let's take it past that point. Okay, so they throw the pass. He this uh, number uh, sixty eight catches the ball. Mm-hmm. It was sixty eight or seventy eight. I can't remember. Sixty eight. 
He catches the ball. They think they've won. Everybody's jumping up and down. And all of a sudden, you see the referee come out there. He says, illegal touch of the ball. Mm-hmm. And then they explain what the deal is. Of course, the coach for Detroit's going nuts. He's saying he caught the ball. We told you about it. You should know. And they find that, well, that's the ruling. Yeah. And you can't challenge a ruling like that. Right. So they said, okay. And so we're going to do it again. And so they do it again. And this time, doesn't Dallas commit a foul? Then Dallas committed a foul, but they didn't make it. And so then they tried it again. And so they, they tried <laughs> one more time. Whereas if he had just kicked the extra point, they would have been tied. It would have gone into overtime. Yeah. Do you think the Detroit coach's emotions got the best of him? He he was so mad about what happened in the touchdown yeah. that he was going to show them that we could still win it that way. I, I, you brought up a huge point, and I think this happens in all levels of sports, not just the NFL, blah, 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 is you let your emotions take over. And, you know, you're mad, you're excited, oh, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff's going on. And, again, you're forgetting at that time of the game, even if that play wouldn't happen, it's pretty it's pretty uh, high-stressful environment at that moment. Then you, you think you're going to win, then it gets taken away. You know, you kind of lose your regular thought pattern, and I think that's why, you know, I, I would tend to think of Nick Saban in that situation is going to be very calm. Uh, you know, maybe a little high-strung, but he's a little bit more calm just because of the experience of being there. But I do I do think that uh, getting caught up in that moment uh, cost them because maybe, you know, the second time they didn't get it, I think the third time coming up, that's when you, I say, hey, go ahead and kick it and let's go into overtime. But he may also be going, hey, we didn't get it twice. You know, playing the odds, you know, we're, we're going to get this. But I, for me, I think I would have went with the kick. And, I, well, if you look at percentages, and my brother-in-law is a very good card player. The reason is because he, he's got a great mathematical mind, and he can compute percentages and, and the odds in his head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had the, the people say he counts cards. He doesn't count cards. He just has a, a, a great uh, mathematical mind. And uh, that's what you have to use then. Is your, You have to have some coach on there say, no, we need to go with the odds. And the odds are we we had a better chance to win this game by kicking one after we got held back on this first try. Well, they, you know you know all the little cards that those coaches have, you know that they're holding that you'll play cards. Yeah, I guarantee somewhere on that play card there's a percentage. What is of what, what is it? Yeah, of every scenario, and it really is interesting how often those percentages are play off. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's why more and more coaches now are going for it on fourth and one, for yeah. example. Hey, the percentages are we're going to make this, um, but you know the, the bad part is if you're wrong on that percentage, it, it can come back and bite you in the butt pretty big. But they, th- those play cards have a heck of a lot of information on them, and 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 numbers don't lie. Exactly, they just don't lie. That's why Vegas always wins because yeah. they go by the numbers. Well, and you know, going going on that oh, same scenario, that's what happened in the Michigan Alabama game. If you remember, you know, comes you know the Bama's getting ready to come up to run the play. Um, Michigan called timeout the first time, then they come up, run it again. Alabama calls timeout, and then the third time, Bama runs a play, and and they don't get it. So yeah. you know, you just you can't again statistics. I'm sure there's something in there that say, hey, maybe we shouldn't have did, we should have did this, should have did this. But actually, at that point, they had to go for two, so it didn't matter. Um, but you know, it's just kind of funny how everything happens and the excitement of the ball game. I this came up just interesting. You mentioned Saban just then. It says anonymous recruit says legendary college football coach, most arrogant coach he met. Said one player shared an interesting quote about Nick Saban when asked to name the weirdest, most arrogant coach he met in the recruiting trail. 
He said, I didn't like Nick Saban. It was just the vibe, he told the Atlantic. Regardless of one player's opinion, Saban has continued to recruit at a high level throughout his career in college football. Alabama's 2024 recruiting class ranks number two nationally after the early signing period. Crimson Tide signed multiple five-year prospects led by quarterback Julian Sayan and defensive back Jalen Makabwe, I guess. Five-year star wide receiver Ryan Williams expected to sign with Alabama in February and two former five-star Dominic Jackson and LT Overton have also uh, transferred Alabama. Uh, but, you know, when you say somebody's weird, you know, it's like if you don't know Nick Saban and he doesn't come in there and smile and say, hey, boy, we y'all want you to come to Alabama, uh, which I don't think is the way he, he care, comports himself. Well, I, th- I think there's different coaching styles, and I think some of the coaches come across like, hey, I'm the, I'm the hoop hip-hop coach. You can be good for me. You can do what you want. Yeah, I think Nick Saban's pretty much just, you're going to do it my way. This is what we've done. This yeah. is what we're going to continue If to you do. want a successful football career, <laughs> come to Alabama. We'll teach you how to play the game to win, and you'll teach you how to play the game to go into the NFL. Exactly. And I think another part of the recruiting part, it's not always just the coach. You know, Saban doesn't just have 10 people on a staff that goes out and recruits. He's got multiple alumni, oh, yeah. you know, layers and layers. So, you know, if they start wanting to recruit Earl Farrell, I guarantee he's going to have five or six of those people contacting you. And they say, and they also match it to the people. They say, what kind of kid is this? Exactly. What's he going to be attracted to? I just know that uh, at Texas, what they do is say, boy, you come on down to Texas. He can wear them longhorns on the side of your head. <laughs> but, you know, I think another neat thing that they do now with all the green rooms and pictures, stuff like that, as soon as the, the player's there, there's a picture of him in on the, the outfit, thing with, yeah. with, in the outfit, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, the, the the recruiting game has, has stepped up uh, quite a bit. Or, showbiz. Yeah, or, you know, all of a sudden they got a great big, uh, you know, fan group of people waiting just for that guy to be there. It's, it's pretty cool. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and wrap it up. And welcome back on a Wednesday afternoon in the year 2024. It'll be uh, really interesting to see. Uh, from now on, you got uh, the NFL is just now getting into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the college is going to wrap it up this coming Monday. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is going to end up being in the Super Bowl? San Francisco certainly looks like they've got an outstanding chance. Uh, the Ravens. I think San Francisco has got to be one of the top. Actually, both of those got to be one of the tops um, at being there. Um, you know, just they've been consistent through the whole season. Um, done quite well. So I, I would tend to think one of them, and actually both of them, like I said, been consistent from the week one to now. Um, you know, a lot of those teams, they get hot early and then all of a sudden towards the end of the season, they something you, happens. Yeah. You, you, you I mean, look at, look at the Eagles. I mean, it, they have lost four of the last five games. You just get one or two people hurt. And it's not like it, that person hurt was so crucial. It's just that somebody else fills in, just kind of changes. It changes the dynamics of the whole thing. Just like if you, if you twist your ankle you don't, the whole body compensates for it. Yep. You have to walk a little bit differently because your ankle is hurt. And that same thing happens in, in that game the other night with Alabama in the center. When he made three bad snaps, that threw the entire body of people off. And they couldn't do what they were trying to get done just because of the, the, the center was uh, making bad snaps. And so I think that anything could happen. Uh, I do think that. Dallas just has to go and beat Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are they, the Commodores? What are they called now? 
<laughs> we call them the commandos. Commandos, I mean, that's what yeah. We nicknamed them. <laughs> uh, so they get, and that's going to be in Dallas. I think that game is uh, in Dallas. I believe that that is correct. Um, I, I think the Cowboys have a good chance. Again, they've been one that's they'll go three weeks where man, they're just on fire, and then the fourth week, that's like, what in the world happened? Yeah. Um, so you know, just depend. You know, the the cool part about the playoffs, I think, when you get to the teams that make it to the Super Bowl, at least from January to the Super Bowl, they were usually the hottest team, not just because they won, but yeah. you know, it, 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 it you know, they could sustain it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, where a lot of times, like you did, like we just said, the Eagles. You know, they're doing really well. I think at the first of December, we would have thought, man, that no, <laughs> they were they were better than everybody, and it's just all of a sudden, boom. Uh, you know, but I also think you know, the, not only that, the players get tired of forgetting. You know, they're playing seventeen games, um, and I don't think people always understand how it's. They're not just playing for two hours on Sunday. You know, they're practicing during the week. But well, it, it somebody takes, hits on you the entire time they're playing. It, and it, you don't. It's not like the game's over and tomorrow you're sore and you know Tuesday you're you're feeling good. Those guys are. Uh, I, I, I'm betting they're not feeling good till about Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, and and they never will feel good again the rest of their life. That's the point. <laughs> Mike Adamson, thanks for coming in, my friend. Thanks, Earl. Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. And Happy New Year to everybody out there. We'll be back tomorrow at the same time. Stay warm tonight. It's going to be another cold one. Urgh.